We're so glad that you're here and uh, want to just uh, invite you to open your Bibles, uh, take your smartphone if you have that, and, and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to talk about something that's a whole lot better than even taking a good nap. And uh, we want to look at this theme of uh, rest. And so we want to look today at Hebrews 4, 1 to 10. And you could just sort of divide this passage into sort of two basic points I've got for you. The, there's a peril, there's a danger uh, for all of us of not entering the rest of God. Now, we're going to talk about what that means in just a moment, but there's also a promise that throughout all the generations, the Lord has held out to His people to enter into His rest. And so we want to talk about the peril and then the promise Hebrews 4, 1 to 10. Let's read it and then we'll dive in. Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it or to fall short of the rest of God. For good news for the gospel came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Listening to the word was not accompanied by faith in the word of the gospel. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And he quotes now Genesis 2.2. Be encouraged. If you don't know the address of Scripture, of where something is, be encouraged. Right here, the writer of the Hebrews says, As the Lord somewhere says in his book, Genesis 2.2, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage he says, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore... It remains, kind of need, that's an important word in here. It remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, this is Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua... And if you saw this in the original, you say, wait a minute, that's, that looks like Jesus. It's spelled the same way as Jesus. Joshua is the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus. If Joshua had given the people of God rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Thank the Lord for His Word and that it is the eternal, profitable, living, inspired Word of God that is profitable for our instruction. Well, one of the things that characterizes all of us now that we live in a fallen and broken world is restlessness. In fact, I, uh, I'm not much of a pop culture guy. I don't watch a whole lot of television, but I've kind of gotten enamored with uh, the NBC series called This Is Us. And this whole family that is portrayed in this story, the Pearson family, 
is a group just like us of restless souls. Jack, the daddy, who had an alcoholic father, who's, who's struggling with his own addiction to alcohol, restless, trying to provide for his family. Rebecca, the wife, who has these three children. One of her children died in childbirth, and she's adopted another child. And she has a career as a singer-songwriter. How do I balance this? How do I pursue my dreams and also be a mother to my children? Restless soul. Then you've got uh, Randall. Randall, is a, he was a little black boy that Rebecca, his white mother, adopted into their family. And this young man is an incredibly gifted man. He, is, he struggles. His restlessness is he struggles with perfectionism. He, he's immensely successful in his career. But because of his restlessness, he, he, he struggles with tremors. He has a, a nervous breakdown. And, and he's just a restless soul because of his perfectionism. Kate, she's struggling with her addiction to food because she never seemed to quite measure up to her beautiful mother. The last one, Kevin, is such an insecure lot. He's, he's struggling to make a name for himself in his acting career, and he gets addicted to narcotics and painkillers and all kind of things. And you see this whole group of people are just like us, very restless souls. And now I want to take you way back to an African pastor. His name is Augustine. We call him St. Augustine now, but let me assure you, he was not a saint. He struggled with all kind of besetting sins until the Lord gloriously converted him. And he says this in his book. If you've ever seen this book, I had to read it in Western civilization classes, The Confessions of St. Augustine. And he said, Lord, you have made me for yourself, and my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And so this morning, our passage is sort of reminding us all that, and here, here's sort of a, a thesis, if you will, the only one thing that can satisfy the restlessness in your human soul is the rest of God. And the rest of God, and we'll talk about what that means momentarily, comes to only people who have turned from trusting themselves and placing their faith in Jesus, turning from rooting your identity in your performance, in, in, in your ability to make your way in this world, the things that you have, and turning to the Lord and rooting your identity in Jesus Christ and in His love for you. I can't tell you every, every day of my life that is a struggle. I root my identity in my performance. I root my identity in my children, how well they're doing in school, how well they're making it in their career. And all of that is like quicksand, and you just start sinking. And I've kept to come back again and again and again. And a passage like this is that 
You'll never find a deep soul rest until you come to a place where you root your identity in Jesus Christ and in His love for you. So today we want to we talk a little bit about that because some of you, I would imagine, you need rest today from a, from a burdened conscience. There's something you've done in the past that the devil, the accuser of the brethren, comes to you today and is accusing you of what you've done. Who do you think you are? Someone trying to follow Jesus? Don't you remember when? And he begins to lash you with his accusations. And, and you've got a, a burdened conscience. And you need to hear the good news of the gospel today. And I'll just give it to you right here. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Devil, trouble me not. I'm a blood-bought son of the living God. And... I am no longer condemned, but I've been forgiven and declared right with God. And that is a beautiful thing. And you've got to fight him. You've got, there's a spiritual fight. Well, as you, if you go back to in the Hebrews, Hebrews 2, you know that there's, um, there's a last enemy. That river that we're going to cross over. The last enemy of death. And we know from Revelation 21 that that enemy will be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26 it is going to be destroyed. And Jesus Christ, the liberator, has come to deliver us from our fear of death. As a young boy, I was petrified of death. And last time I was with you, we talked about how Jesus Christ, because he died on the cross, death died, the sting of death has been removed, and for those of us who trust in Jesus, death Physical death is a gateway into the presence of the living God where we'll delight in Him and see Him with unclouded brightness, with our eyes of sight, not just with our eyes of faith. And we'll serve Him without fear and with joy forever and ever with all types of creativity. Brian Nern was talking to me just a little while ago. I said, man, I wish I could play the guitar. I said, man, in heaven you will. You'll be able to serve God with, with, without any limitation, with all manner of creativity. You're going to reign with Christ. You're not going to be some fat cherub resting on the clouds of glory. You're going to be reigning with Jesus. And you're going to be serving Him. And you're going to be fully alive in the presence of God. Well, let's talk just a moment about a problem that we all have. Today, according to J.I. Packer, there are three forms of spiritual degeneracy. There are three particular sins that all of us are struggling with. If you're a living, breathing human being, uh, you're struggling with this. Now, none of this is in the notes, okay? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little off my, my first point here, but I, I'm setting up for the first point. All of us here are struggling with pride. That uh, contending for supremacy with God, that we know better how our lives ought to go, uh, that uh, we really resist the humility, the blessed gift of self-forgetfulness. We're all allergic to that, but with a lot of that, our marriages would be better, our extended families would be more healthy, our work relationships, if we could set aside our wounded pride. We're all in a battle with, with pride. We're also in a battle with a spirit of unforgiveness. There are people in your life who have disappointed you and hurt you. 
Some of us, we've hurt and disappointed even the people that we love, and we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, and we have a hard time extending grace and forgiveness to other people. The third form of spiritual degeneracy is what we want to talk about today. You talked about it last week with Mike Stokey from Hebrews 3. It's the the sin of unbelief, of just a refusal to trust and to rest in the promises of God. And so this is our battle. This is the peril that we all face of not entering into into God's rest. So in the first verse here, the first part of of verse 1, the same promise still stands for us. The same promise still stands for us. It remains open uh, to us. Listen to what it says. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands. So the Lord is holding out His promise that the one who places His faith in Jesus Christ, the one who's greater than the angels, the angels are wonderful. They're sent as ministering spirits to serve the faithful. We have guardian angels. And we joke about that, but this is a wonderful life, and they make a caricature of the guardian angel there. But angels are wonderful, and you've studied how Jesus is more supreme and superior to the angels. The next thing you started studying in this book is Jesus is more supreme and superior to Moses. Moses was an incredible man of God. He walked with God. He saw God do incredible things. And let me encourage you today, if you feel yourself insignificant and inadequate as a son of God, as a minister, as someone who, that God wants to use, let me encourage you to go get Francis Schaeffer's little sermon called No Little People. I love this because I grew up in a little town, front and back street, one stoplight. If I told you where I was from, you'd say, man, where is that? The thesis of this sermon is God uses insignificant people from insignificant places to accomplish His eternal kingdom work. Now, that's a whole sermon right there. It's called No Little People. If you feel yourself little and your little story, you know, Lord, who am I? Your story is caught up in the grand drama of redemption just like Moses. What God did through that stick of Moses when Moses struck the water and the waters parted at the Red Sea in the Exodus and God's people were delivered from slavery. So the same promise of entering that rest of which the Cana rest, the promised land, is a type, is pointing forward to a rest that we would have where we would be reconciled to God and have a relationship with God and experience His presence. Uh, A taste of it here waiting the fullness of it in eternity. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. So the the same promise of entering God's rest stands for us. Number two, the same peril still remains for us. The same peril. So he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The word there is actually, and there's been books written along this line of being left behind, of being left behind from entering into this kingdom of God's rest. And one of the things I'll just, I'll just say here, that the danger here that is being reflected 
the peril that we're under is that we are people today that sit under the teaching of God's Word. Right now, you're hearing the Word. But God gives the gift of faith to trust His Word, to trust the promise that I am a restless soul. I look to my work. I look to my marriage. I look to my children. I look to my my retirement account for significance and worth. And then I turn and I run to Jesus, who is the rest giver. He is, in a way, the Sabbath rest. He's the one who endured the undiluted justice of God. I deserve, just like these, uh, my forefathers in the wilderness, he said, I swore in my wrath they will never enter my rest. I deserve that wrath that poured out on me forever. This is why we love that hymn in Christ alone. On that cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. What was due us was poured out upon Jesus. Now we have his favor. Now we are accepted. And so now we can get busy serving our Lord in the kingdom, not to earn his favor and be acceptable, but we move out into our relationships, into this broken and fallen world because we are accepted in the beloved. That's Ephesians 1, 7. So you've got the same peril. And so one of the things you notice is that how many people out of the Exodus generation entered the promised land? How many people entered the promised land? Two. Who were they? Caleb and Jonathan. And Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. Out of all the million throng, they tested the Lord. They grumbled at the Lord's provision. They doubted that God would be faithful to His promise. And I would just encourage you, Uh, sometimes what I'll do when I get restless in my heart and I begin to complain against the Lord and, Lord, I deserve a better job than this. Hey, in your marriage, have you ever said this at least in your mind? Oh, I deserve better treatment than this. You know, one of the things that we really have to work at, us men, is, is removing from our vocabulary the word deserve. Jonathan Edwards was visiting with a man once, and he said, I, he said to, to the pastor, Jonathan Edwards, I'm such a filthy, rotten scoundrel of a sinner, I deserve to be in the bottom rung of hell. Jonathan Edwards looked at him and said, my, you have a high esteem of yourself. <laughs> that you would even use the word deserve. <laughs> I don't even deserve that. It's all a gift of his grace. And so one of the things I would just encourage you, it says, let us fear. That word fear, the the phobos, that reverential awe. One of the things we need in our day is we need an elevated sense of who God is. He's majestic in his holiness. He has a hatred of sin that is eating out the insides of people that he loves. This is why we have the cross, because God chose to do something about it. Well, one of the things I've been asking myself, and uh, I'll have to tell you where I got this. I got this from uh, a a friend and a fellow PCA pastor called Scotty Smith in Nashville, Tennessee. 
he had something yesterday in light of what we prayed, the, uh, the terrorist uh, attack in New York City. And he had a simple prayer. And I said, you know, I'm going to share that with the men at Amen because this is right on point here. He says this, Father, may we fear our unbelief more than we fear the next terrorist attack. May we fear our unbelief more than the next terrorist attack. Friends, one of the things, we are so incredibly fragile. And I want to just encourage you with this because I've seen some of my friends when it appears that the Lord has not come through for them and a hardship, a tragedy, a difficulty, an affliction comes in their life and they're tempted to walk away. This prayer thing doesn't work. Where is God in the midst of my pain? And they're tempted to fall short of the rest of God. And one of the things that we enter that rest by persevering faith. You're going to see that word all throughout the book of Hebrews. And so, Lord, protect me. Protect me and give me grace to trust and rest in your promises. Now, I want to read something to you. Eddie Foster gave me this old book. It's called The Book of Common Prayer. And I don't know if any of you grew up. Who grew up in an Episcopal heritage here? Anybody? All right, we've got a few. Um, can I read this little prayer to you? We must give careful attention to the Word of God, not just listening to it, but asking the Lord to give us faith to put our full weight down on the promises of God. And so I want you to listen. This is the, this is the collect, uh, spelled collect, the collect, the prayer of preparation to prepare your heart for worship. Blessed Lord, you've caused all of your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may be, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read them, mark them, learn of them, and here's one that's particularly appropriate for us today, inwardly digest them. So something today that you hear, maybe a verse you just you start chewing on, like a cow on the cud, inwardly digest them that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. In fact, it's my favorite prayer in the whole book of common prayer that we're to read, mark, learn, study, inwardly digest the Word of God. Anybody have a navigator background in here? You ever heard of the, of the, of the word hand? You know, it's like if you're going to play tennis, and, you know, if I'm going to play you and I'm going to hold the tennis racket just with my pinky wrapped around the racket, you're going to beat me every time. Hear, hear the Word. Read the Word, study the Word, memorize the Word, and meditate on the Word. And you grab hold of your book, <laughs> you know, grab hold, yeah, it's right here, you got it. Hear, read, study, memorize, meditate on the Word. And uh, this Word, I, I love what Howard Hen Hendricks, one of my uh, seminary professors, used to say that sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. 
This book was not written to satisfy your curiosity and make you a smarter sinner. It was written to change your life and mine. People that are incredibly restless. I can't tell you how I've struggled with this in my own personal journey. That the next job, the next thing, you see some of your friends that are cashing in and walking away from their covenantal commitments, thinking that another person will make them happy, some vision of the good life. The good life, the restful life, comes from bowing the knee, submitting to the Lordship of Christ and confessing that He is Lord and Savior. That is where it's found. Well, one of the things I just want to encourage you with Because in this day and time where we're questioning everything, I want to just encourage you to grab hold of the great men of God who had firm conviction, who had put their full weight down on the truths and promises of God. And I was just thinking this morning of men like the Apostle Paul. I know whom I have believed and I am confident and persuaded that he is able to keep what I've entrusted to him Against that day, I've entrusted to him my life. I've entrusted to him my eternal destiny, and he's able to guard it until that day when he comes again to take me home to glory. I know whom I have believed. Can you say that with the Apostle Paul? How about Job? Once I did a funeral, a, Jew, a Jewish man had, had a um, Christian wife and just a beautiful woman, and he said, I don't want any singing at the funeral. She had passed away, 54 years old. And he, and he said, and I want you just to read from the Old Testament. I said, okay. <laughs> so what I ended up doing, I just started and all kind of stuff, the Psalms, and I, I, I parked at Job chapter 19. Man, Jesus is all over Job 19, 25, 27. Some of you may know it. I know that my Redeemer lives and at the end He'll take His stand on the earth and even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. How my soul yearns for this. This morning, does your soul yearn for that? Do you know in your heart that my Redeemer lives? Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. Help my struggle. Help me. I believe. And uh, so if you're struggling today, I'm giving you those words to encourage you to anchor your heart to the promises of God's word. So the third thing here, number C, letter C, is the same hindrances still confront us. We are those who struggle with unbelief. We hear the word and we don't put our faith in the promises of the word. We, we are rebels, really without a cause. We, Lord, I'm, I, got it. I got this. I want to do life my way. And uh, you can read from Numbers 14 and you can see these folks just refusing to go God's way and just grumbling and complaining. So let me make a couple of just a, uh, applications here. How do we read the Old Testament? Because you can see Genesis 2, uh, we've got Psalm 95. How do Christians read the Old Testament? One of the things I want to sort of propose to you, if you would go and read, and I think Mike talked about this last week, 1 Corinthians 10, that that they're, they're as examples, they're warnings for us. 
So uh, there, it's always exemplary. The people of God grumbled, and 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 the Lord sent the sent the fiery serpents among them. But but don't stop there. He said, "Oh my goodness, I better I better cut out my grumbling and complaining. The Lord might uh, strike me down." Remember Numbers twenty one. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And if he's lifted up, will he not draw men to himself? So there's a picture there of that bronze serpent lifted up. Jesus Christ lifted up on a cross. We've all been bitten by the poison of sin. And Jesus Christ and his shed blood is the antidote. You remember the rock? Remember the rock uh, that, that Moses struck twice? What was that rock pointing to? According to 1 Corinthians 10, that rock was pointing to Jesus Christ, the rock that was struck. And he was struck on Calvary's cross and he drunk to the dregs the undiluted wrath of God and justice on our sin so that we could lift up the cup of salvation. And what he ended up doing, he was struck so that you and I might know the favor and the unmerited grace of our Lord and know and live with him forever and ever. This is the gospel. So we see them as warnings, but every time we parachute into the word, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers from London, the London Baptist Tabernacle, he would tell you all roads in England lead to one place. Some of you have been there, London town. All scriptures, wherever you parachute into the Old Testament, lead to Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is what we need. He is the rest of God. The rest of God is not uh, just a place that we're going to one day. It is a person. Well, let's, uh, let's move along and, and to the promise of entering God's rest. This is the latter part of, of chapter 4. First of all, and let me, let me give you these words. You know, sometimes you say, man, what on earth did the preacher say was that word? Uh, a, the method... The method of entering God's rest, B, is the nature of entering God's rest, and C, is the results of entering God's rest. So let's just look here, and we'll move uh, a little quicker through this. Verse 3, for we, have, we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, so... The method of entering the rest of God is simply this. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And so what you ought to do today, if you find yourself sort of uh, exhausted, even for many of you who are in, in, uh, serving uh, as leaders in your church, exhausted in your serving for Jesus. And I can assure you, that the greatest competitor to loyalty to Jesus Christ and entering his rest is serving him. Us preachers, we do it all the time. We get our sense of identity by, by nickels and noses and everything else external, and we put ourselves under all kind of pressure, and we can be just worried and bothered about so many things, and we can come to that place that Vince Lombardi talked about with the Green Bay Packers, fatigue. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And to people that are there and we're exhausted and we're, we're, you know, we're questioning, hey, can we carry on? Can I be faithful to the commitments I've made? 
Matthew 11, hear this invitation of Jesus. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You've got burdens on your shoulders, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And what will happen? You will, you will find rest for your souls. So today, one of the things I want to just explain to you, that this rest of God, that nine times, so nine times in Hebrews 4, 1 to 10, the rest of God is talked about. So this rest of God, first of all, is a present rest that is found in a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we enter that rest, there's a sense that it's already not yet. Sometimes you'll, you'll read in, in commentaries, realized eschatology. So there's, there's an already, but not yet. We're already in the kingdom, but it's not here in its fullness. We're experiencing the rest of God right now. We've already experienced it through faith in Jesus. We don't have to run uh, and get on the treadmill of, uh, of our Christian life trying to live to please Him. We're pleasing to Him because He sees us in Christ. And so, but yet it's not here in its fullness. So then He goes on to talk about the nature of this rest. And so you can see from uh, th verses 3b to verse 9, he talks about a, a couple different types of rest. The archetype of rest is God's creation rest. When he says that on the seventh day, God rested. God rested on the seventh day from all his work. So to rest, God's rest, is when he steps back and he looks at all that he's created. And what does he say? Behold, it is very good, exceedingly good. When he takes delight in a completed task. So he's de delighting in himself and delighting in what he has done. And you guys know this. Some of you have mechanical gifts and you can create things, make furniture and do all kind of stuff. And, and, and the beauty of, of, of a completed task and being satisfied in that. So basically what this is telling us that part of the rest of God, the creation rest of God is coming to a place one day where you will be absolutely, completely satisfied and delighting in the Lord. And you won't need any other thing, any other of His gifts to be satisfied in Him. And so one of the things uh, that the archetype of rest is really verses 3b to verse 7. Then he goes into a type of rest, which is the land of Canaan, the promised land. And, and you can see that in, uh, in verse 8 where he talks about Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So David, King David, comes after Joshua and he, he, he offers, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but listen to him. Heed his promise. Enter into his rest. So um, we can see that... Uh, that this is a type of rest that's pointing forward to what we want to talk about that relates to us. The future Sabbath rest for the people of God. Look in verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's in the future. In fact, the word for rest there is very different. It's Sabbatismos. You can hear the word Sabbath in that. 
It's Sabbath time. It's a festive, joyful, worshipful celebration. And the best way that I could try to put this in, uh, if you will, non-churchy lingo is this is your future. This is your future. If you have embraced Christ, you have an eternity to look forward to of joyful service, supreme delight, unclouded worship, all performed for the glo- only for the glory of God, who is our creator and redeemer. Now you're saying, wait a minute, I thought we could do some of that now. You're absolutely right. We can joyfully serve him. We can worship him, just like we were doing moments ago, knowing that we've got a home to go to at the end of our days. Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You've got a Father in heaven who rejoices over you, who takes delight in you. His goodness and mercy are going to follow you, not just this day, but all the days of your life. And you've got a home to go to at the end of your journey. And one of the things I love, we don't do it here, uh, but I, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, when I was a pastor there, when we did our funerals, we had a hymn. It's called the Garden Hymn. And the last verse of that hymn, and, and I, I've told my kids, I said, hey, guys, I, I want you all to play this. It is well with my soul at my funeral. But I also want you to sing the Garden Hymn. Because I want everybody there to know you included what to do after daddy's passed on to glory. Come, come brothers, you who fear the Lord, taste, taste the sweetness, taste the sweetness of this promise, taste the sweetness of his word. And in Jesus' ways go on. In Jesus' ways Go on, our troubles, our trials here will only make us richer there when we arrive at home, when we arrive at home. Friends, I don't know about you, but I like my home. I can get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom, which I do regularly. And I I don't even have to have my glasses on. I know where all the walls are. I I got the potty ready, you know. And I love my home, but it is a faint echo of yours and my eternal home where everything sad is going to become untrue, where in the Lord's presence, Psalm 16, 11, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, and the pleasure is knowing him and experiencing his love. And I'll tell you this, this is... Thankfully, you're not paying me for this. Um, I, do, I tell this, uh, this to, I need to be careful here. Um, I tell this to young couples who are preparing for marriage. The most exquisite and uh, wonderful lovemaking between a husband and a wife is like a thimble full a thimble full of the joy and exquisite pleasures and beauties that will be yours when you experience what's called the beatific vision, when you see Him as He is. First John 3 says you'll be made like Him. 
and you, it, it will be joy and pleasures forevermore. It's what your heart has always longed for. When you won that uh, state championship and, uh, and the glory of it faded away, when you got married, when you had your first child, all those things that just faded away, your heart is aching for this rest. Your heart is aching for home. And one day, joy of joys, you and I are going to get it. So, this future rest that remains for the people of God. Now, one of the things you, you, you might want to ask, why is it God's rest? Why does he say, enter my rest? And the best thing I can determine, and this is from an old commentator, it's God's rest because he's, he's prepared it for us. He's loved us enough and cared for us to prepare it for us. It's his gift. It's not something we earn. It's his gift of sovereign grace. He gives it. And so today, if you've been given the ability to turn from your own works, from trying to establish your own track record to be pleasing to God, and you put your faith in Jesus, you've done that because God gave you the gift of faith. It's his gift. And you ought to be up on tiptoe. Thank you, Lord. And that's the beautiful thing of sovereign grace. It ought to make you humble, grateful, and incredibly joyful. Lastly, he, only, he, he reveals it as an object worthy of pursuit, and he promises it to every, every sinner who repents and believes. So let me close with this last point here. The results of entering God's rest. Verse 10. Forever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his and there, there are two things I want you to think of here. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There is an already and a not yet to this. The already, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've entered into this Sabbath rest. It's coming in greater fullness. It's going to be consummated in the, in the eternal kingdom. But... You've, you've, you're experiencing that now, and what it enables you to do is cease from your own works of trying to make yourself acceptable to God. As a pastor, I can assure you, I was dealing with someone uh, over at Holiday Ham at lunch the other day with a young man who's very religious, who was not sure of his salvation, trying to establish his own record of righteousness, if you were to die tonight and go before the throne of God in heaven and he were to ask you, why? Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? Well, I read my Bible. I go to church. Um, and I always joke what I said to that question. I haven't stolen anything real big. All the things that we do or don't do to try to gain God's heaven and gain his favor. And my friends, we rest from that. We can rest from... Uh, uh, this is uh, from... Uh, uh, Tim Keller's little devotional book on the Psalms from Psalm 95. We can rest from the crushing burden of self-salvation through our own effort and our own performance. We can, we can cease from doing that. He's, it's a finished work. He said it is finished. Do you believe that? Are you resting in that today? And I would encourage you, if Martin Luther here, a little chunky German monk, uh, come reformer, he would say, for some of you here today, now he would not make it in southern culture, I can tell you. He would offend everybody. He said, for some of you here today, it's not your sin that is separating you from God. 
It's your damnable good works. Your good works that are damning your soul to hell. And I would urge you today, lay your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. He's done it all for you. He's opened paradise for you. It's His work. It's about Him. Receive the gift rather than trying to work for that acceptance. Number two is the future rest. And this is where a great promise, and we normally read this this coming Sunday, All Saints Sunday, when we celebrate the lives of men and women in our church who have become members of the church triumphant, All Saints Sunday. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. How can you be blessed if you die? I'm in the Lord. I'm in the Lord. They rest from their labors. And my friends, heaven is not just a period of inactivity. We're going to serve him with great joy, with all kinds of creativity. But I just want to encourage you today and and close with this. Some of you may remember the movie Chariots of Fire. It's a story of two men, Harold Abrams, who said, I'm two very fast men, Harold Abrams and Eric Little. Harold Abrams... He said, I've got a hundred yards to justify my existence. A man trying to gain acceptance and validate himself and be a man of worth because of how he performs. This is the world's MO. Then you have another man, Eric Little. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. One is working for acceptance, trying to establish his own record. Another is working and running with great zeal and vigor, but from acceptance. He has the Lord's favor. And you can see one leads to great bondage. One leads to weariness and oppressive burden. And one brings complete freedom, enables you to rest and work while we await that day when we will step into glory and we'll behold with the eyes of sight the beautiful, glorious Lord Jesus Christ and we will enter in fully to his rest. That is your future.